what's upsetting is that well, there's been so much focus on uh, Manchester United and Liverpool and their implosions that there just hasn't been enough focus on come on you know the words get on go get down the good is oh what a song it's a good tune to be fair alright here we go I think it would lift the spirits of the nation. I don't give a fuck about the nation of Morocco, bro. It's people's lives are at risk. Oli Gunnar, where would you like the statue? <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. We'll take that as a yes, then. Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, have a bad shave. Hello comrades and you're very welcome to the Football Spin. It's a Football Spin on a Monday morning. Nas is here, Ruben is here. I can't put words on it. I mean, how do you feel after the strangest Sunday that we've seen for many a week? Uh, Nas, your reaction to the weekend that was? Fucking incredible. Like, I've never known a day like this. This might be the greatest day of Barclays we've ever we've ever known. Like, like, literally, like, like when, when, um, when West Ham won three 0 you kind of thought that's it, that's enough for me. Like, like, like that, that is enough. That, that drama will last me until the international break. But then you, then you had like United, and then and then United, which has been ridiculously awful, and then Liverpool fans taking a piss. Soonest, like, sat there properly smug while while ever ever is having a breakdown and and basically ripping up his Sky contract on live TV. <laughs> 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 and then and then that happens with Villa. I I'm certain that the only reason that happened with with Liverpool is so that so they want Solskjaer to keep his job. They don't want Pochettino at United, so they were trying to sort of dilute the the the, the monumental effects of United losing uh, so 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 catastrophically against Spurs. Jurgen Klopp's playing 4D chess. He is throwing a game to keep Solskjaer in a job. <laughs> was, it was fucking ridiculous, wasn't it? There was just nothing normal about that weekend of football. It properly lived up to its Super Sunday name. And I think it explains why I'm actually doing well in fantasy football for once, because everything's just gone wrong. Football's broken. And like, you know, normally, I well, I, th- I like to think I know about football. But what yesterday proved was that none of us know anything, basically. What's upsetting is that well, there's been so much focus on... Uh, Manchester United and Liverpool and their implosions that there just hasn't been enough focus on. Come on, you know the words. Get on, go. Get down. The good is Oh, what a song. It's a good tune to be fair. All right, here we go. It's, it's very 80s TV, isn't it? It's like Minder yeah, or something like it is. that. It's that little, it's that creamy little guitar. I loved the uh, I loved the music video that Everton made for it. It's just oh, yeah, it's, it's just basically clips. It's just like clips of goals um, with like a very eighties kind of effect over the top. But then they've got a few clips of players dancing in front of green screens and stuff, and it's uh, very good. Yeah, very so good. Everton are top of the Premier League, unbeaten, uh, twelve points heading into the international break. Followed closely by the other overlords, new overlords of the Premier League, Aston Villa, also unbeaten. Um, we'll get to Aston Villa, Liverpool in a moment, but Naz, on the show on Friday, you were accused by Conan Doherty, who, 
for Villa should be here this morning, but can't be. We'll, we'll come back to that. But you were accused on Friday of being an acolyte of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, um, which I thought was heavy language. Uh, he kind of coupled you in with uh, Gary Neville and some of the other, we'll say, former teammates of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that have been very light on criticism of Solskjaer, his tactics, the teams that he picks. And and I'm very much playing that card, which is he hasn't been given the investment that he needs to bulk up this team. This morning, as you reflect on Manchester United, after a chaotic window, Sancho is not coming in. Um, Cavani is going to sign. And that absolute like catastrophe that was the game at Old Trafford yesterday. What are your feelings towards Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? <sighs> I mean, there is no... In terms of Solskjaer, he is going to be criticised and he deserves to be criticised. Like, I've got no problem with that. Like, I think anyone, any sensible person can kind of see that he got the job on a technicality recommended by a legend. And and, 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 and basically, um, if he was going to achieve anything United, it was going to be in spite of logic. And again, the way he got the job where he he kind of um, was given it temporarily and then and then did so well, Kind of reflects his his career at United so far, in that um, there are bursts of momentum where it looks really good and it looks as if it's shaping up to be uh, a United team that can challenge, and then something happens and then it all goes to shit. But in terms of criticizing Solskjaer, there's got to be levels. That's that's the thing, and I think I think that's the the thing the thing that irks a lot of United fans is that beyond Solskjaer, you blame you blame the the board and Ed Woodward. And beyond him, you blame the Glazers. So Gla- the Glazers should get far more criticism than Ed Woodward, and he should get far more criticism than Solskjaer because it's deep-rooted. Like, he, it's not as if Solskjaer's replaced Ferguson. It's not as if it was good and then it was bad. United have tried various things, all under the Glazers, all under Woodward, and it's failed. It's just not worked. And uh, so, 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 so much of that is evident on, uh, on Sunday. That was a that was everything coming together. That was a perfect storm of everything fucking up, everything going wrong, and um, and and really, um, it's it feels like an idea, but it feels like an an, an idea for the whole club, not just for not just for Solskjaer. As a United fan, as those goals flew in, and as the camera cuts to Solskjaer and Woodward, who are absolutely the faces of this disaster. Um, because we don't see the Glazers, they're out of sight, they're out of mind, I, I, I suppose. But as a United fan, as those goals begin to fly in, like, what were you feeling? Um, I mean, first of all, there was just what the fuck is going on because, like, uh, the defending was just chaotic. But then it just became like this doesn't matter anymore. Like, like I don't know about I don't know about other football fans, but like with me, if things are going bad, like let's just go all out. Let's just fuck up to the max. And it's a uh, Maguire. Like, what is going on there? Like, like, uh, I think, I think, an area where people have been soft on social, where they they've essentially said everything that he's he's tried in the transfer window has worked, and we really need to revise that because has Maguire been a good signing? Like, he he is he is a good defender. Is he good enough? Should he be playing for United? Various um, central defenders have played alongside him. When do we start contemplating the possibility of, of he might be the problem, he might be the concern? Everyone's trying to make up for his fallibilities. Everyone's trying to make up for his confidence. 
Um, he he looked like a broken man yesterday. And you talk about leadership and this thing of uh, when your team's losing or, 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 or you need to claw it back, that's when you see true leadership. That's when you see a, a team, what they're made of and, and what the players are made of. The problem with that is you're a, you're a reflection of leadership and you're, you're a reflection of your captain. And when your captain is a broken man who's, 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 who's mainly to blame for all that's going wrong, then that's it's, hard, it's impossible for him to lead. It's impossible for him to sort of G up everyone else because he is, he is central to the mess. Yeah, I w- on Maguire, I think Maguire, that signing is going to really, like, it's going to really negatively affect United for a long time because of the price tag and the fact that he's captain. It makes him so difficult to drop or sell. So even when he is out of form, there's not a lot they can really do about it because they have so few, like, that you can't really drop Maguire without it becoming a massive crisis for the whole club. And like £80 million on on him and then give him the captain's armband purely because there are no other standout candidates for that role in the squad. Like, he shouldn't have been given the captaincy and he wouldn't have if there was, you know, longer-serving players that were better leaders. But, like, he was rubbish yesterday. Like, he was terrible. And, like, for Ndombele's goal, it looked like he he was wrestling Luke Shaw out of the way instead of working together with his teammate to try and clear the ball. And he got nutmegged for one of for the Sons goal at the near post. He was dragged out of position and Luke Shaw Luke Shaw was also absolutely horrendous yesterday. Like they were all bad, but those Shaw really stuck out as being probably the United's worst player, I thought. And that back line is just such a shambles, despite the money spent on Maguire and Wambisaka. And a, like they're all half decent players, but and a good manager would be able to mask those problems. But I don't think Solskjaer can. And as you say, you have to have nuance and you have to acknowledge the problems that the board create and the glazers um, and the you know lack of investment, lack of a director of football, really bad recruitment. Um, but I think a better manager doesn't lose six one to Spurs. Like I think. On top of all of those things, Solskjaer is massively like unqualified for the job. They've been really streaky under him. They were great when he took over as caretaker, terrible when he uh, got made permanent manager. They had a really good spell post restart. Then they ran out of energy, and now they haven't. They and because of the schedule and various factors, they haven't. They none of them look hundred percent fit, but they all look terrible. And I think, like Woodward and the Glazers, aren't realistically going anywhere. And it's a lot easier to blame a manager, but it's a lot easier to replace a manager. And the fact that like there are better managers available, but one of the biggest, richest clubs in the world has hired a man based purely on memories of him as a player is insane to me. I think that I think they need to make that change. Like obviously, it's terrible timing now. You sack, like what are you can do sack your manager on deadline day. It's it's ridiculous. But like they should have done this a long time ago. And it's not really a knee-jerk reaction to say that Solskjaer's not fit for the job. But I think yesterday really exposed um, some flaws that we already knew were there. I mean, it's a personal tragedy for him as well in terms of just like how bad it has gotten. He himself described it as the worst defeat of his career yesterday. So like, I don't think there's any, there's not much appetite 
for Pylon when somebody has hit, as you describe it there, a nadir. But there is a sense that he has been pretty immune to criticism that other managers have faced when they've been in a similar position at Manchester United. Um Obviously, Moyes was 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 a hounded really out. Uh, Van Gaal would have gotten a fair bit of it, and Mourinho too, and maybe Mourinho's personality contributed to some of that. Nas, like we're on deadline day, and we know that Cavani and Tellez are going to come in, and again, we know that probably Sancho isn't. Like, what? How do you plot forward now? Like, um, Ruben says he can't sack a manager on deadline day. I, I would say that's probably fair enough to say, but. How long is there left for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Manchester United? And if if he has to be replaced, like where do United look? Is it Pochettino? Is there somebody else? In terms of the criticism that Solskjaer gets, it's a valid it's a valid sort of um, thing that people have noticed. But again, that's partly because who's doing the punditry and a lot of the people who are who are observing United and talking about United are obviously his ex teammates and his friends and and you are. It's 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 not ideal, but but you are going to get this situation where they are skirting around the fact that he might be a bit of a problem. But again, it goes back to this idea of whoever United get in, whether it's Moyes, whether it's Van Hal, whether it's uh, Mourinho, whether it's Solskjaer, whether they are good or bad or qualified or not, the the question needs to be asked: Is the club doing the optimum that they can to get the best out of out of these managers? Uh, and they're not. So, so if you've got Solskjaer, who's shown a few things, but 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 uh, in reality, perhaps isn't qualified. Are you doing the most to get the optimum out of that situation, or are you are you optimizing the chaos? Are you optimizing the the sort of uh, clusterfuck around him? And and United are. It's not just about spending money or not spending money. It's about being thick and stupid and over clever. And and ridiculous in the transfer market and being a being an international embarrassment. Like today, they're likely to sign a Uruguayan youngster who they're paying the the get out clause for. So they could have signed him ages ago, just paying the get out clause earlier. They're signing Cavani, who is a who is a is a free, free transfer. They could have signed him ages ago. Um, they look like they might um, buy Dembele from Barcelona. Who who has got a shocking? Who's a great player, but has got a sh- a, a shocking injury list and and uh, injury form. It's it's chaos. And anything I've said it before. Anything that will that will ever happen at United that will be positive and good will be in spite of everything that's going on at the club, in spite of the management, in spite of the owners, in spite of the the administration. It's it's just shocking. Like even you gave anyone. Any other sort of manager or, or, or sort of any other board, the funds that United will spend over over summer and today, and they will do a better job. They they will buy smarter smarter buys. They will buy them earlier. They will they will integrate them into the team, and it will make sense. United make no sense. And again, it, like it, I go back to this thing about yesterday was the culmination of everything, including. There was there was such a feel good factor at the end of last season, and what United's um, board and owners have done is is totally destroy that. Um, so at the beginning of the season, there's no trust. There's just negativity, and that feeds into the players, and that feeds into the manager, 
And straight away at the beginning of the season, it's negative. It continues to be negative and it builds. And, and there's a lack of confidence and there's no momentum. And at the end of the last season, there was momentum and, and there was a great field of factor. And, and there was even people talking about challenging or, or perhaps starting to challenge the top two. That's a dream now. And again, with the likes of Everton and Villa and Leeds all playing really well, who's to say that they, that they won't be stronger competitors to Chelsea and Arsenal for that top four finish and, and Leicester? Is there, um, is there a part of this that is about United struggling to come to terms with the reality that they're not the United that Alex Ferguson left in terms of their brand and their world standing as well? So that when players look at Manchester United... 10 years ago, they would have thought United can have their pick of the best players in the world and they would want to go to Old Trafford. And that this transfer window has shown that presumably United have been behind the scenes trying to get deals done, whether it's Sancho or whomever. And they haven't been able to seal those deals because they're like a, like a middle-aged divorcee returning to a discotheque. And it's like, well, I used to be, you know, I used to have all the ladies flocking towards me. And then the realisation that, you know, you're a little bit older, Few uh, a paunch, less hair, all that kind of stuff, and you're not gonna you're not gonna have the same allure. It's not gonna be the same as it was ten, fifteen, twenty years ago. They just it's just everyone at every level is feckless. Like like everyone at every level is is not qualified. That's the problem with United, and that's the problem that will con- continue to 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 sort of denigrate the club absolutely baffling isn't it that a club of that size allows that to happen like from the very top all the way down to like the players are the only people that are qualified to do their jobs speaking in terms of the hierarchy from the Glazers to Woodward to whoever else recruits the players because I don't know but given by their record they're not very good at it to the manager and then the players are the only ones that are qualified to be in the position that they're in but I do think Pochettino would get more out of this squad than Solskjaer in spite, because like at Spurs, he did really well in spite of not that much money being spent, and like he finished third and then second with more or less the same team that he inherited. A couple of additions in key areas like Wanyama and Son, but he would be he would definitely be an improvement as well as all of those things need to change as well. You know, for ch- for change to happen in any sphere or industry there needs to be a motivation for that change to happen um it needs to be because there is things on the line this there's 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 risk if things don't change and at united there's no motivation there's no motivation motivation to change anything i don't know Um, why there should be they're shit like why is that not motivation enough they are shit but in terms of the owners in terms of the in terms of the board in terms of ed woodward there's no motivation to change anything the Glazers, the, the, the Glazers are happy with the dividends. It's a bonus that they, that they get into Champions League. They, um, you'd have to question Ed Woodward's position, but then, do they have a motivation to to get rid of him? I don't think they do. Um, in terms of Ed Woodward changing the managers, obviously it affects Ed Woodward when he gets a bad press and when he gets singled out. Um, and but um, he, his motivations will be conflicted. Because he's thinking both in terms of what's best for United, but what's best for him as well. Because if he sacks uh, Solskjaer, that's another manager that, that that has failed under him. There's, there's just there's not enough repercussions. But the only thing I'd say is that there's been a lot of um, talk about it's been United's saving grace that there's no fans at the ground. 
because they can't sort of uh, um, react. I th- I don't think that's true. I think the lack of fans is contributing to the mental score lines. Like if they, as soon as they went two one down yesterday, the atmosphere would have been really. Well, I don't know. Would it have been toxic? It would have been, you know, intense either way. And I don't see them conceding six goals um, with fans in the ground somehow. You know, is, is that what you mean? Or well, well, my my experience with United's fan base is that the people who go to games are far more patient. They they are far more understanding, and their their motivation is to go to games, enjoy it with their mates, enjoy stuff around the game, and then the, and and then the, and then the game is something that they enjoy or don't enjoy. But it's about the whole process. It's about the whole day. And, uh, and enjoying that day. So they are far more supportive of the club and the team um, than the online fan base. And I think because the online fa- fan base are so reactionary and, and so vocal and so, um, well, less supportive and less uh, um, tempered than the match-going public and the match-going fans, I think that has... Uh, Made it more apparent. I think. I, I think that's made the criticism more acute. And so, so, this idea that the fans not being there is a kind of blessing to United because because then they'd they'd see how unhappy they are. I think it's the opposite. And I think partly the club is to blame because the club has forever been promoting what the operating is, what the following is. They they, they wear that as a badge of honour. So if you're going to live by the sword, you've got to die by the sword. And and now they're realising that all these fans that they've accumulated online, they are vicious and they are angry and, and, and they will vocalise that, whereas the fans who go to games are far more supportive and encouraging and, 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 and really, if they were at the games, it would be, it would be, uh, there'd be a bit more of a positive story around United rather than it just being the online fans. Can we also just mention the fact that Spurs were really, really good? Like, I know United were terrible and that's, the story but um credit where it's due jose Mourinho's tottenham played very well which is not something you'll hear me say often um i thought harry kane especially was just absolutely unbelievable like that is what he does best like him dropping a bit deeper winning the fouls taking that free kick quickly that set up son's um i think that was son's first goal he's he was just absolutely unreal and like even Ndombele looks like a completely new player Hoiberg was really good, kind of playing the same role as Winks, but with a bit more steel. And I didn't know he had that pass in him to assist Aurier's goal. It helped that Luke Shaw had gone AWOL. But um, I just thought, yeah, Spurs were, aside from the opening 30 seconds when Sanchez gave away that penalty, Spurs were really, really good. And it's and it's not like, it's not purely because United are terrible. They've just won three games in six days um, with like, you know, no rest. And given how bad they were against Everton on the opening day, it, I'm so surprised to see Spurs suddenly become this good. And then you think add Bale into the mix instead of Lucas or Lamella, and Kane playing that slightly more withdrawn role, assisting those two. The recipe is there for success. Like we'll see how long it lasts. We'll see how long it lasts. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they go back to being turgid quite soon. But they were really good yesterday. Yeah, that's good to see. Uh... Happy a magnanimous Jose at the end, Naz. I'm sure you were allowed to see that as well. Yeah, I mean, he was absolutely loving it. And, <laughs> and, 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 and the, the thing, the thing is, you, you cannot blame him. 
like like he he's he's been he's been part of this uh, sausage factory, um, and 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 he's been sort of sucked up and spat out of this dysfunctional United machine. So he's got every every chance. He's got every reason to gloat. And and I think if anything, um, perhaps a few United fans were as as, as dismayed they, as they were at the at the performance. There was almost a begrudging sort of like um, sort of a soft spot for Mourinho. That sort of like, well, you're out of this mess. Sort of like, see you on the other side type thing. Like we can't escape. But like, uh, yeah, he, uh, at least like. The, the the thing with Mourinho, he's is he's a funny one. He can be poisonous. He can be horrible. He can be nasty. But when things are going well, he can also be incredibly charming and affable and likable. And uh, I suppose that's the that's the sort of like uh, the, the twin enigma of of, of Jose. But um, but yeah, like uh, he was he, he was obviously uh, loving every second. And 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 why not? It's either brilliant and magical under Jose, or it's toxic and horrible. There's very little middle ground, and uh, at the moment for them, it's pretty magical. But we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we thought that was going to be the big talking point of the day: Manchester United getting beaten six-one at home by Spurs. Um, we thought that was definitely going to be the craziest game of football that we've seen for a while. But then, uh, step up Aston Villa and Liverpool. Oh, my bear, because it was like one of those games that you watch very much like um, Germany-Brazil, where you're just like, no, this just can't get any more insane. This game is just, it's too crazy. Uh, no sendings off in that game, obviously, in terms of like to skew this, the scoreline. Maybe there are some other things that were skewing the scoreline. But before we get to Liverpool, I think we should just quickly say Aston Villa. Like... We had Conan on on Friday talking about the combination of Barkley and Grealish. And like it's exactly as I think he hoped for as a Villa fan. But when you put two fantastic footballers together, you get that kind of, you know, that it just they just they just complement and amplify what each other does. It was amazing to see the two of them in tandem, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean I you got a feel for Conor Hurahan who has dropped out for for Ross Barkley but um that's Barkley's that's Barkley's level isn't it like he's not good enough to play for a top top team but in a Villa team when Jack Grealish is the most creative player and the driving force in that team and he's playing more of a supporting role then yeah i mean there's there's less pressure on him he's he's a bigger fish in a smaller pond and he was really good um the, i mean three of the goals took massive deflections but you make your own luck don't you like liverpool were horrendous and Villa played really well. Um, I think most of most of the problems came from it's Liverpool's back line will get most of the criticism, and they were really bad. But when you play like Liverpool do, it's a co- it's a cohesive defensive unit. It starts from the front, and if Villa can play through your press, you're exposing your defenders to a lot of trouble. And I think that, like it was just far too easy for Villa to pass through them, and Villa made it far too easy to stop Liverpool passing through them. Um, without even pressing them that intensely, it was more just like we're just going to stand in the light in the lanes where you want to pass the ball and intercept it when you when you do. And it was just it was so what was so confusing about this game is that it was so simple for Villa. They just kind of intercepted passes, played one ball in behind, and it was a fucking goal every time. I mean, it could have been more. Like Barkley missed a couple. Watkins said he should have had more. 
he was brilliant, by the way. Ollie Watkins is what a player. Um, and yeah, I mean, is it? Villa could have scored ten against yeah, Liverpool. Like, yeah, legitimately. At Villa Park. That's the reality. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder now from Liverpool point of view, is it, is it a one-off freak result, or is it slightly indicative of a problem that we maybe didn't know was there but might become more evident this season? I think that's a very good point because when you know when somebody reacts very tetchily to something that might be true, like when a respected um, outspoken pundit talks about maybe a, a characteristic of the team that has begun to creep into their play. I'm just, you know, maybe sloppy, sloppiness, a thing that maybe has just begun to pervade Liverpool's defence at the be- at the end of last season um, and definitely at the beginning of, of this season. Um, maybe that's, maybe when you touch on the truth, that's when it really hurts, Nas. Yes, um as has been mentioned by a few people, it was such a pity that Keane wasn't covering that game because that oh, would have been that would what have, a shame. It would have been delicious. Um, <laughs> I think I think Ruben makes a really good point about Liverpool because the thing about Liverpool is obviously amazing side, amazing manager. Um, they've bought well in the summer as well, so uh, on paper everything's right. But um, this will be a major test for Liverpool now because. The question becomes, have have Villa found a way to beat them and can other teams replicate that? And even to the extent of... Because so much about football... Because the thing is, like unlike Ruben, I'm old enough to remember when United were good. And the thing about United is part of it was psychological. Part of it was a, a twin thing of both the opposition knowing United are going to win and United knowing that United are going to win. So you go into games with that mindset and and you kind of you kind of you kind of 10 15 there before before a ball is kicked. Liverpool um, had that last year, didn't they? Yeah. Well the, well, the, well that's the thing the, the test now will be is this a blip and Liverpool get straight back into it or is it a situation where Liverpool it, it sort of um it, it sort of a uh, knocks this idea within Liverpool that they are unbeatable and they will always find a, a way to win? And does it knock the sort of aura around Liverpool that, that they just cannot be beat? And that'll be the most fascinating thing, I think, because you talk about momentum and you talk about momentum in the most sort of uh, obvious way with United in terms of being uh, sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. But with, with Liverpool, we've not seen that. Liverpool have just been amazing, consistently amazing freakishly amazing for so long and and you wonder if if that if that mask of invincibility slips uh how will both Liverpool react and how will the opposition react because you could see when United became shit and, and obviously it's a completely different situation because United became systematically shit and on, on, on every level and this is this is just one game of Liverpool but as soon as as soon as opposition teams start to smell blood from a formerly great United team. They they approach games thinking this is a great opportunity for headlines. We can go to Old Trafford and get a win and 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 everyone will be talking about us. And and the same the same thing would happen to anyone who beats Liverpool. So 
this this big fearsome machine that you're facing suddenly turns into this huge scalp that you, that you can that you can that you can overcome and and it, and it becomes rather than it becoming a risk it becomes a massive opportunity so i'm most fascinated about that and 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 really for for liverpool um it's just unfortunate that the international break happens now because they can't straight away sort of make amends so and, so, so, and the so fact they, that they've got everton next that's fuck. the best part it's the best part it's the perfect time it's like if only it was ne- if only it was next weekend but yeah like i mean i mean yeah it's a shame that didn't have the intercession break to bounce back, but playing Everton next is that game is going to be unreal. Well, it's, Again, the most, it's the most meaningful Merseyside derby since the eighties, essentially. But, but but again, we talk about psychology. We talk about how Liverpool losing and losing in that way could uh, create cracks in their invincibility and their aura. Everton, this is Everton's opportunity because Everton, whether they've had a good team or a bad team, whether they've been towards the top of the league or towards the bottom, there has always been this psychological block against Liverpool. There's always been this sense from the outside that Liverpool, that Everton have always had this inferiority complex against Liverpool and, 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 and very psychological, very ingrained. And they've had such a great start. Liverpool come, are coming off this result. So... In a way, this game is so, it'll be so telling about both where Liverpool are and where Everton are. Because if Everton get a result and, and Everton play well, and, and, and especially if they win, you do wonder, has the spell been broken? Has this spell that Liverpool have had over Everton finally, is it broken? Well, you would think that with Ancelotti there, that they are finally play in a position to capitalise on Liverpool's deficiencies and that that mindset, so no, Liverpool are wounded, that an Everton under any other manager at any other time, including Moyes, just would not be ready to go in there and apply the, like, I won't say the fatal blow, but, you know, take them down. Um, like the joke that was going around last night, Gary Lineker tweeted, it's Everton's title to lose now. Can I just say, 90 minutes after I tweeted the exact same thing, I don't think, Naz, you've had your tweet stolen. I haven't. Uh, I don't think Gary Lineker stole my tweet. It's probably more of a case of people thinking along the same lines. But it is a joke, obviously. But like you say, it is on Everton now. Everything has lined up for them to go and win that game. To go and, They haven't won a Merseyside derby for 10 years. Yeah, it is absolutely psychological. And with Ancelotti on board... Like Everton have no excuses. I mean, this is the thing. Like they've never been better placed to take advantage of like wounded Liverpool last night. And I, I was going to ask you about Minamino because I was like, oh my god, this is a this is where Liverpool are at. They're relying on Minamino to turn this game around. And I know they have Thiago and Mane out through injury, through coronavirus. But like when you're reliant on him, you begin to wonder like you begin to question just how much depth there is in that Liverpool squad because he isn't up to it. But he's probably the guy that will score the goal that wins that Merseyside derby for Liverpool um, now, that I've, uh, now that I've talked him down. Ruben, back to Liverpool. Like Naz's point there about is it an anomaly or is it something more deep-seated that maybe has been creeping in since the tail end of last season and is there present in this season? Like, What do you think? Do you think this is something for Liverpool fans to worry about? I don't think I don't think so this season because, like they've shown in in 
other games, like against Leeds, for example, like that was a chaotic game and they conceded three goals, made a couple of mistakes, but they were still very intense, scored four goals. They are still very good. It ha- when Klopp was at Dortmund, it went when it went wrong, it went really wrong. And suddenly his team looked completely bereft of any energy, really, because his teams play so intensely. They'd just kind of completely burnt out after a few years. And he has been there for a few years. So maybe that will happen eventually. But I don't think it will happen this season. Um, like they, I think it's just a case of all of the factors at the moment, like the lack of, the lack of pre-season, a couple of players missing, no fans in the stadiums, just various things kind of culminating into one. I think this is a freak result. The United one isn't, as we've discussed at length. That's met various factors that have been building up for seven years, whereas this is kind of like various temporary things um, causing a freak result. But when it does go wrong for Liverpool under Klopp, which it will eventually, it could be brutal. One one thing that I find find particularly interesting is we talk about balance of power. So... We talk about Manchester and the balance of power from United City. We talk about uh, Liverpool and, and potentially a balance of power sort of somewhere down the line um, um, between Liverpool and Everton. Um, <laughs> Good one, Naz. One, one thing that I, I, that I think is worth looking at is has there been a, a transfer in power and significance and relevance between Manchester and Liverpool? Is It, it used to be City versus United. Is is the new hotspot for for the country and, and for everyone's attention? Is it now Merseyside? Is has has Liverpool as a city overtaken Manchester as like the most prominent and relevant and and talked about uh, football sitter? I think it's an interesting one because in in Ireland, kids support either Liverpool or Manchester United. There's a duopoly there, Celtic as well occasionally, but mostly it's Liverpool Man United and it's going back to the success that both of those clubs had in the 60s and 70s. So they're taking it from their their dads or granddads, whomever. It's passed through the generations. I was kind of sending around like, uh, we'll say junior jerseys with hammers on the back to my mates who are all Man United fans saying, look, you don't need to look outside Liverpool. The youngsters of Ireland do not need to look outside the city of Liverpool for their team of the future because... What do kids do? They The kids would say outside of y- your cities when they're trying to pick their team, like in a country like Ireland, and not just Ireland, across the world, they will always look at the top of the table and they'll pick the clubs that are at the top of the table. And that's the worry for Manchester United particularly. Um, I don't think Everton are... <laughs> I mean, four games at the top of the table isn't really enough to uh, cement that position. But the longer you can be at the top of the table, the more likely it is that your global fan base grows. That's just that just happens naturally because kids want will always pick the team that are doing well. That's why City have more younger fans across the world. Same for Chelsea when Mourinho came in, suddenly you had all these Chelsea fans. And that's the that is the concern for for United. And I suppose what you're seeing with Liverpool and Everton is both of those clubs are both better run as it looks at the moment than Manchester United are. Yes, I do. Uh, I do think that's something worth considering. I also think, and somebody made the point on uh, Twitter uh, yesterday. So many people, um, in terms of going to games and in terms of having season tickets, it's it's just their way of life. It's just how they spend their money and and how they spend their weekends and 
the focus of their lives. Now, because of the pandemic, uh, that has changed. And there's a prolonged period where people's lives are different in, in loads of ways. Um, and you start to wonder whether not just United, but like further afield, whether people continue on, on their current sort of uh, patterns and lifestyle and they, and they stop spending the majority of their money on football and going to grounds and, uh, and, and going to, and buying season tickets. So it's interesting in that respect as well about whether whether the football and whether you're satisfied with your club and whether it's because you never stop loving your club. You, 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 it never stops being important to you, but um, other things are just as important or become more important, like like your your family, like other ambitions, like other things, that, other ways in which you want to spend your time. So it'll be interesting, depending on how well or badly teams do and how. Uh, excited or sort of fatigued um, the fans are about clubs, whether they will come back in, in the numbers that they were they were there. Yeah. Um, it's probably, it's an interesting one and it's it's speculative, but I would say Sky's subscriptions, BT subscriptions have never been bigger because obviously if the fans can't be in the stadium, they've got to take out the subscriptions. But also it feels like incredible, like at the moment it feels like great value. I mean, like there were eight games. You could watch four games on Saturday and four games on Sunday back to back. I mean, it's not good for um for family life or, you know, uh relationships or whatever else if one part part of the relationship doesn't enjoy football. But like there were people that didn't watch Liverpool and Aston Villa last night, legitimately because they just couldn't face another game of football. And and like that's fair enough because they'd watch like six I was I was I was one of them. One of those soldiers. I get football fatigue. Sunday night, 8 p.m. <laughs> I'm not bothering. Also, Newcastle, Burnley. I'm sure that's happened three weeks in a row, 8 p.m. on a Saturday. <laughs> I just, I, I can't do it, especially because I'm commandeering yeah. the, I'm commandeering the living room. Um, well, that's it for so long. I'm like, ah, oh, no, Liverpool will smash Villa. I don't need to watch that. That's fine. 45 minutes later, what have I done? All right, chaps. We should probably wrap it up now. We've had quite a bit of chit chat this morning um it is transfer deadline day so we'll be keeping our eyes on uh jim white thanks you for tuning in if you haven't already done so click subscribe and you'll never miss the show good luck i think it would lift the spirits of the nation i don't give a fuck about the nation tomorrow bro it's people's lives are at risk Oli gonna where would you like the statue <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace i refuse to answer that question we'll take that as a yes then Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, have a bad shave.